talk Derek and Miley Cause sexuality is tough And okay, sex just isn't good enough No, sex talk with Derek and Miley Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. I have the wonderful Tina Love on my show today. You know, I, I've got a fellow sex nerd here that y'all know how I get when I get another sex nerd on my show. <laughs> Tina is an amazing media personality and podcast host of The Lover's Lounge. Tina is extremely passionate about educating singles and couples, regardless of sexuality, racial and ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic status. Tina has you covered. Covered. Tina, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Erica. I am so stoked to be with you right now. So thank you. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk all about, we're going to talk about abusive relationships. So we're, we're going to be lighthearted and then we're going to be talking about something that's really, really, that's really serious, but also like impacts so many, not only just in my listeners, my clients, but I have uh, friends, I have family. Like, I, I'm saying all this because it's, it, it is so much more common than I think people are aware of and that it impacts so many different domains of our life. So Tina, tell me a little bit about your story. Yeah. Yeah. And first of all, um, you know, I, I initially said I'm stoked, you know, I'm stoked to be here, but, but this is a serious topic. And most recently, I think it's just, you know, especially with the, um, you know, what we've been through in the past year with the pandemic, there have been so many news stories about domestic violence and the amount of calls and how it's kind of escalated. And it's just made me think about, you know, my story. And and back in 1994, um, if it hadn't been for the grace of God, I, I, I'm telling you right now, I would not be here because the person in my life at that time, uh, my intimate partner told me that if he couldn't have me, uh, nobody, nobody could. And so, um, you know, so that's why I'm telling this story right now is because I know there are a lot of people out there, Erica, that are facing this right now. They, they don't have the courage to leave family members and friends maybe want them to, but they don't have the courage yet. And so, um, I want to let people know that you're not alone and, uh, just kind of walk through, you know, my story and what happened and sort of talk about the cycle of violence too, and how it all how it all comes into play. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just so, I'm just so uh, appreciative that you're willing to share with us because I think our listeners need, do need to hear their, their own stories echoed to them. And it's incredibly, you can feel so isolated and alone and as if you were the only person to yes. experiencing this. Absolutely. You know, for a long time, I was actually very embarrassed and had a lot of shame about it. Um, I did not want to share you know, what happened to me because I felt like in some way it was something against me. Like, how could I be so stupid as to let someone allow someone to do this to me, you know, or also judging, you know, like thinking that other people would judge me, like what's wrong with her and all of that. And so for a long time, it was very, um, I, I kept it to myself, you know, very close to my chest. But just recently in the past, uh, like I said, a year, year and a half of the pandemic, I decided to open up and to share because I know that, you know, there are people hurting. Yeah, absolutely. That that constant oftentimes so many of my clients, they talk about the 
constant barrage of being responsible for the the partner's behavior or their pain or whatever else is happening makes them often feel so not only just isolated, but so responsible for every part of it. So like, oh, it, it's my fault that I'm in this relationship. I should have known better. When in reality, that's not at all the case. Like the, this, this happens often like a little bit at a time. And for many people, it, some of the behaviors start to blindside them. And then there's some paralyzation that happens. Would you say that that was true for you? Absolutely. It's very subtle. So I'll, I'll share, you know, it started back in the uh, late 80s. I hope I'm not dating myself. People will say, boy, she's pretty old. Uh, the late 80s, uh, when I was in college, I, I met a young young man. He was very, you know, charismatic. And let me back up too. When I left for college, I didn't know anybody at this university. So I'm like, you know, going with a lot of excitement, but at the same time, very nervous because I didn't know anyone, you know. Like the average and, early college student, right? That's like, right. That's right. Going I'm, to I'm, a new life. Leaving home without parents. I'm excited, but at the same time, nervous. So maybe in a few weeks or so, I meet this uh, young man who was in a fraternity, which was very intriguing. Of course, I'd heard of sororities and, you know, fraternity guys and all of that. And so I was pretty excited to meet someone who, you know, a lot of people knew and, you know, he was like the big guy on campus, you know, and so, hey, you know, that was exciting to me. It was just kind of a way for me to meet people. And so, yeah, looking we, for community. We, yep. We started dating and uh, things were going good for a while, but then things started to change. Uh, there was some uh, controlling behavior that started to creep up uh, where I was being sort of monitored you know, my, my every move, uh, all of a sudden there were jabs and not jabs physically, but jabs emotionally, you know, somebody can, he can, you know, say things to me that was a little bit degrading, uh, sort of to my self-esteem, a punch. And, and it, it just became, like I said, more and more obvious, you know, my friends, there were people who saw it, uh, they wanted to help. Um, but at the time, I think I was so connected to the relationship that even though a part of me knew that it hurt, but then there was a part of me that felt like, but I know how he is on the other side. And so he can be really nice at times. And, you know, we do have good times together. And so I think I kind of rationalized why, even though it hurt, I should sort of stick it out and remain in because after all, you know, this guy is a cool guy. Like, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? You know right. There I mean? was. I imagine there was. I, this is this is something that I don't. I don't think many of us realize. Our reward system is pretty powerful, and when in the beginning of a relationship, there was a lot of rewards for you, right? Like there was the there was the this person maybe was alluring, charming, and there was a community that was already maybe with That's him that, that you mm -hmm. got to access. But not only just that, like a lot of times, people who end up being abusive. They, they can hold it together like typical behavior or, or loving behavior for a short amount of time. And so then the person in the relationship is always looking to that going, but there was this mm -hmm. part of our relationship that was really good. Yes, yes. Yes, I equate it sometimes to the, the gambler who, you know, goes on the boat and <laughs> they lose a whole lot of money at one time, but, but they can remember that time when they hit really big. And so, you know, that keeps them in the game. And, and so I think, 
for me, uh, even though there were some jabs, there was just something, though, that I could think back and say, oh, but we had a really good time that day. And, then, you know, he can be really nice at that time, you know, and so that's what kept me in. Um, so he became increasingly more possessive, more controlling. And like I said, it really got to the point where my self-esteem was as low as a snake's belly. And so, you know, he could say something to me like, you know, well, you're not going to leave the relationship. I mean, even if you did, nobody still want you and, you know, things like that. And so it really got to the point where it really plays with your mind a little bit and Absolutely. where you almost start to feel like and believe that, you know what, he's probably right. Like, who's going to want me after this? You know what I mean? And so you kind of feel like you don't have a choice. It's totally crazy now that I think about it and know better. But at the time when you're in it, it's very, very difficult to see. I also have a saying, it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame. You know, I was, I was in the frames. So I couldn't see it. Everybody else could, but I couldn't. And I didn't have the courage at the time to get out. Yeah. Right. And, and I think I, I, I also want to encourage people to understand that like, it, it does take a lot of courage to get out, but also like the threat of what might happen to you mm. is incredibly, especially when you feel so isolated all, uh, already, it can feel really dangerous to make that decision to leave. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I had a, I had a dog. She was very dear to me when I was in college. I had a little schnauzer, miniature schnauzer. And he would sometimes do things to the schnauzer in front of me when he even felt like maybe I would was trying to get away. He would hurt her in front of me. So it's a big mind game. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying, but he would actually sort of threaten me through hurting the dog. And I kind of equate that to, you know, people who may have children who, who are thinking uh, the threats that have been said to them. Well, if you leave, uh, you're not taking my kids. I'm going to tell you right now, you're not taking my kids. And if you try, you know, I will find you. Those types of things. And so it was kind of this looming threat that if I tried to leave, would he hurt my dog? Would he do some, you know, something to one of my friends? Would he hurt a family member? These types of things, you know, so that was where the threat sort of came in. You're right. Yeah. It's not only just like your own safety that you're then trying to understand. You're also trying to understand this beloved pet that you have and go, okay, what do I need to do to try to protect this pet or my family or other people I know? It, it does then seem like it does then it ups the ante, right? Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Makes it a lot harder to leave. Yeah, yeah. So it got to be uh, my senior year. Erica, I was a senior in college and I decided that I would move into my own apartment close to home, and but I was going to commute back and forth from St. Louis to Illinois. And I moved into a brand new apartment. And so uh, I'll never forget it. I was putting things away and I got a phone call from him and he said he was coming over and we were going to celebrate and uh, that I should get ready because he was going to take me out. We're going to celebrate. And so I was put everything down and I was putting pictures up and doing different things. I put things down, uh, ran through boxes uh, enough to find an outfit and try to get ready because, you know, we're going to go out. And when I heard the knock on the door, I opened it and um, I could see right away that there was a look on his face. Uh, he was very upset. I didn't know why. I started to say something, but before I could, his over 200 pound 6'3 frame came at me with a punch 
like Mike Tyson. Wow. And uh, I, 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 like I said, at this point, I'm just outdone. You know, I'm, I'm getting hit. And I, I was wanting to say, like, I was trying to say, what's wrong? And all he would do is just continue to hit me and continue to hit me. And I was backing up and, you know, just trying to get away. And he was saying things like, you're going to cheat on me. You know, if I can't have you, nobody can, you know. And so it was obvious that in some way, shape or form, he thought something. I don't know. He was very angry to the point where he backed me up into a bathroom. And I'll never forget, I fell over in the tub trying to avoid him. And at that point, my eyes landed upon a hammer that was on the floor. And I had just put some pictures up in the bathroom and, and my eyes saw the hammer at the same time his eyes saw the hammer and he picked it up. And at that point, I closed my eyes because I thought, oh my God, this is it. You know, I, I, he's going to kill me. He is going to kill me. And I just said, Lord Jesus, help me. Yeah. And when I opened up my eyes, it was like a calm came over him. He dropped the hammer and he looked at me and he said, I need to take you to the hospital. And at that point, it was I was in a daze. My eyes were really almost closed shut. I could barely see. I knew my face. I, I could feel my lips and my face just throbbing like, oh, my God, you know. And I was sort of confused. And uh, I agreed. I, I just nodded my head. And we got in the car. To make a long story short, we get to the emergency room. And when I walked in, the people in the emergency room, everybody just stopped, I can remember. And the nurses in the back immediately came out because there was glass windows you could see like triage. They came out and they grabbed me and they pulled me back in and they started asking me, did he do this to you? Did he do this to you? And all I could do is cry. He must have sensed because they were looking at him and probably that they were talking about him and he just like he left, he ran. Yeah. But at that point, that was a changing point in my life because I had done so much those four years of college to hide that from family and friends. And at that point, this secret was no longer going to stand. My family found out everything. And the fortunate thing is, Erica, they kept me from him. After that, they prevented him from being able to reach out to me, to get to me. And, and I always say today that that was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself because many people who are in this situation will attest to the honeymoon phase in which, you know, this person can come to you after they've cheated on you or lied on you or hurt you or whatever it is and physically abused you and say, I'll never do it again. If you just give me one more chance, I'll never do it again. Or they'll come to you with flowers or, you know, I want to take you shopping. Let's go do something. You know, let me make it up to you. And by my family literally keeping this person away from me, I feel like they did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, I just want to, I, I just want to say thank you for even being willing to tell us the story. It is, it is incredibly hard to talk about these things again and it again. Is. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel incredibly honored to hear it from you. 
And also like this cycle that you're talking about is uh, again and again, the playbook that people who have abused their partners or abused family have, have, have reenacted again and again is those, those tensions build. And then there's usually an incident, whether it's neglect or physical violence, like, like in your case, and then there's an attempt at reconciliation and then there's like a calm or a honeymoon phase. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's what kind of, again, keeps a person in the game. You know, you, this person comes to you and they promise you, or they may even say to you, you know, if you just wouldn't have done this, then right. I wouldn't have done like, what I did. Like, you know, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, next time, don't look at another guy while I'm with you. Like, keep your eyes down, you know, just do what I say. You know, those kinds of things, you know. Uh, Erica, I can tell you that after recovery and getting out of that, I had forgot how to smile. I had difficulties looking at people, looking at guys, because if I was with them and I looked at a guy, then all of a sudden it was, well, you want him. You want to be with them, don't you? Well, you were trying to flirt with them, weren't you? You know, and so it got to the point where all I could do was look down and look away because I was afraid of the consequences of what that might mean later on. And there were always consequences. Like always. this is where there, the insistence on that dependency or codependency on them and not being in charge of your own body or boundaries. Absolutely. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? The ha, like the eye having to look down is an excellent example of this. Well, this yeah. you couldn't make any decision that was right by him. Like there, there was nowhere for you to go other than to look down to try to keep yourself safe. Well, and it was all because of his insecurity. Absolutely, you know, he needed power and he needed control, and he was very insecure. And he knew what he was doing. By the way, you know, he was one that you know, was flirting and doing different things behind my back. So mm -hmm. he knew what he was doing. So he didn't want me to do what he was doing. And so he was trying to alter my behavior and did a good job of it because I totally lost my sense of self. That's what codependency is. I lost me. And suddenly I was just a reflection of what it was that he was sort of trying to create me to be or what he wanted me to be. I totally lost myself. I, I lost that boundary of where he ends and where I begin. And that, that, that story that you, that, that you just reference is the one that I hear again and again and again, that the insecurity that the other person has is so much the forefront of their existence that then they take power and control of another person. And I think, I think this is the, the best time for us both to be able to talk about, like, this is often not, yes, sexual assault happens, but often it's not about sex. It's about the abuse power and, and control. power and control. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I used to teach this uh, in, in middle schools and high schools. I would talk about how, you know, this is not love because oftentimes, you know, for a 
for high school students and college students like I was at that time, when somebody shows jealousy, you know, towards you or, you know, this possessiveness and you're like, oh, he just really likes me. So that's why, you know, and he just doesn't want me to be with anybody else because he likes me so much that he wants to, <laughs> you know. And so sometimes it can come across like, oh, you know, flattery, like, oh, this person likes me so much that they just want to control my every move. And it's like, no, <laughs> it's not healthy. It's a, not a healthy relationship. But um, it takes time to learn that. And, and this is why I'm speaking up and, and speaking out, because if there's somebody that's listening right now, oftentimes people think when they hear abuse, they think of it being physical. But there's a whole line. There's emotional. There's mental. And that's that builds up towards the physical. They don't just come out and start hitting you, but they, they kind of groom you. And in that grooming process is where your self-esteem really takes a huge hit. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That taking essentially little by little or with even with sometimes big actions, stripping you of your own identity. Absolutely. And, and I think you you put that yeah, so uh, succinctly that it you lost the, the pieces of you that made you you. Yeah. And I also want to say, uh, Erica, that I'm a female obviously. Uh, but there are men that deal with this too. There are men who are victims of uh, domestic violence and intimate partner abuse. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to know because, you know, the statistics are a little different for men. And that could be, I mean, you're, you're, the, you're the expert, Erica, that could be because of a lot of things, you know, maybe they're not reporting it. Maybe they're too embarrassed. Maybe they're too ashamed to admit or say, you know, I'm getting, you know, hurt by this woman. Uh, but let me not uh, suggest in any way, shape or form that this is just something that females go through. Men can actually be in this situation as well. Absolutely. And I think that the cultural bias that oftentimes men face that it, that especially like the always having to be ready for sex, that that piece can absolutely keep them from reporting some sort of abuse, especially sexual abuse, because they think they're supposed to want it in quotation marks, since you all can't see me do my handy little quotation marks. Yes, yes, but yes. also like our our beloved trans community and, and our beloved fellow Alphabet Mafia folks, the LBGT, LGBTQ+, plus. words mm -hmm. are hard. Ugh. Yeah. Mm. Can't get my mouth working today. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. The uh, same thing, you know, and it's even more difficult when you have a female to female relationship, because, you know, if this female tries to get away and perhaps go into a safe house for females, well, guess what? The other female can come to the safe house. So it, it's 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 difficult. It adds a whole nother layer on to this and it makes it even more difficult sometimes. Absolutely. I, I do want to make sure that we talk about how did this how did this impact your your sense of trust with other partners as as your life went on after this relationship? How did this impact your ability to trust other partners and trust them sexually? Mm -hmm. Well, I think first off, you know, I had to learn about me first. I had to learn about me first. I had to learn, you know, to speak up, to be more assertive, to, you know, not lose myself first off. And then because I learned that about myself and trusting my own self, uh, then I would have the ability to be able to trust somebody else. And it, I had to trust me enough to recognize if there were red flags, you know, that I was sensing or seeing that even remotely looked like 
what I had been through. And that's really something because you have to kind of recognize that because if not, you'll find yourself back in the same situation. If you don't learn your for yourself uh, what you need to do for yourself and those boundaries, you will land right back there. And there's plenty of women uh, that will I've heard say, why is it that I keep meeting these same people and ending up in the same situation? Well, it's because if you haven't learned from your situation, you will. Um, but yes, it, it does put a hit on how I'm able to trust another person. But I'm the way that I'm able to do that is through watching their consistency and just seeing that they have my best interests at heart, really. You know, that they allow me to be me and them to be them. You know, that's where I, you know, my current partner today, I I fully trust him. And it's because of those things that I'm able to, to trust him. Yeah. So what he I've showed, seen. he, at, at least at this, at this, at this point, and I'm so glad that this, that you have this partner that you can trust, but it is that consistency of behavior that you're saying. That that he is who he says he is, one. And two, that he does what he says what he, he does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And fundamentally, when it comes down to trust, we don't necessarily learn to trust humans generally just by grand gestures. That's not really how we learn to trust. It's actually like, I like how um, Brene Brown puts it, that it's like marbles in a, in a jar, that it's a little bit of marble at a time. And people can scoop marbles out of those out of that jar, which this abusive partner did, dumped the jar mm. out, threw the jar mm. away. Oh, yes. So I imagine like, that that description you said of coming back to trusting yourself, my clients talk about that very clearly. Like after they've been through an abusive relationship, is how do I not do this again? And I think that watching for the red flags and understanding what they are and understanding how to trust your body when you feel them. Oh yeah, oh is yeah, a huge part of it. Yes, yes, you're so tr- you're so right. Um, trusting your body. I-, I feel like now my body tells me things before my mind does. You know? Ooh, <laughs> well, I'm yes. just saying. I'm just saying because yes. you know, I'll get if I'll get a feeling in my gut, you know, or just if I'm uncomfortable about a person or their motives or what they're trying to do, my body kind of gives me a, a little sense, you know, just in the ten- tension of my body and all of that. It tells me a lot about people that I'm around and if I should trust them and if I should, you know, let go and, and really let myself be with this person or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. Beautifully put. Like, and I think the, these relationships in particular, are unique in their ability to get you to stop trusting that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and to make you ask yourself like, oh, okay, well, my body's telling me this thing, but they're telling me this thing. I can't tell you how many of my clients are like, yeah, the, the, the person told me that I was crazy. The person told me that I was, the, I was mentally unstable or any of those things to make them question their own, not only just their own thoughts, but how they were feeling in their body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really is something where you almost kind of start to second guess yourself. But, uh, you know, your gut, it tells you a lot. And so, you know, a lot of people say, you know, follow it, follow it. It tells you these things for a reason. And yeah, absolutely. So when when you think about the kind of sexual relationship you have now, and of course you you don't have to tell us all the details, of course, but like that, is it that consistency that you referenced that really kind of unlocked your ability to be present with your own sexuality too? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, this current relationship, and it, it, it really has uh, played a huge role in why I started the Lover's Lounge podcast is, is just being able to be free about who I am and what I want. And, uh, you know, you know, being in this relationship has helped me to be comfortable enough to be able to talk about what I want and, and how I feel and how certain things feel and uh, whether or not I want to, you know, experiment doing this or that. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, really helped me in a lot of different ways. Yeah. That's a, that's a unique difference from that abusive relationship that that I'm hearing from you. They're, this person sounds like they're a champion for you, or a, like and, and meet you in your curiosity too. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I never thought uh, that I would be open to, like, say, for instance, you know, BDSM, for example, letting someone be a, a dominant over me and me be a submissive. You know, when especially coming from where I've come from and what I experienced, you know, in that relationship, uh, you would think that it was like, oh, no, you know, I wouldn't want to do that. But again, it all comes down to when you trust that partner enough and you know that they're safe, then you're more apt or open to these other things. Because, you know, at the end of the day, this person is not trying to kill you. You know, uh, they have good sense, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not <laughs> risking your, it is a very detailed, often plan when you're going to do any kind of BDSM scene. And I, I can't tell you, I, I feel like I say this again and again, like BDSM for many of my clients has been restorative in a lot of ways because they've been able to essentially like with their partner negotiate exactly what was going to happen and then talk about it afterwards and that is completely absent often in many abusive relationships whether it's with family or or with a partner right i mean well that person isn't really looking out for you they're looking out for themselves you know in that relationship but when you have a mutual relationship where it's built on trust and and uh, mutual concern for each other uh, then you know that if you say you know red 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 hello hello stop that means stop you know <laughs> that this person is going to stop because they do they're not all about themselves they are looking at your best interests as well basically would you say that 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 consistency was, uh, did it aid you in that healing? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, if, if you're in a relationship with someone, I'll reflect back to the abusive relationship where this person says, I'm going to come and pick you up at this time. And then they're like two or three hours late, or they say they're going to do something and they don't do it time and time again. Well, that, of course, shows you that you can't really trust this person. But when you're with a person who says what they mean and means what they say, you know, if they say they're going to call you and they're going to do this, or they're going to do that, they actually do it. And they don't just do it one time. They do it repeatedly all the time. And so you know that you can trust that person at that point. Like you can trust their word, if anything else. Yeah, they show up. They, they show continue, up. And they continue to do that. They follow yes. through. Absolutely. And for a while there, I was afraid, you know, because of where I'd come from, like, you know, are you really going to do this? Are you going to be like, you know, these other people? But no, he's shown that he's different. So that's good. Yeah. And it's I encourage my my clients all the time. Hey, it's OK to go slow. 
and it's okay to express to your partner why you need to. And I'm by slow, I mean allowing yourself to understand that, okay, it might take me some time to trust this new partner after all the things I've been through. And that's okay. That, that, that is what it is. And the person, if they are a good partner for you, they will be patient. Absolutely. And they will meet you there. I think patience is this person's middle name. I'm, I'm trying mm-hmm. to gain that name, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they're a lot more patient than I am, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I'm learning. But you're right. You're right. So that, that's good. That's, uh, that's wonderful. I, I am curious, like, do you have any, um, uh, do you have any suggestions for folks who maybe are in a relationship like this or who have been? Um, what would, what would you encourage them to do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, I, I do want to reach out. I want to talk to family and friends first, uh, because I know that, you know, when you're a family member or a friend of somebody that's going through this, it can be very, very frustrating and quite excruciating to watch. I mean, you want them to leave and to see what you see, but sometimes they just don't. And it takes time. And so what I'll say to friends, because I know I felt so bad because I knew that I had friends that watched and they they really wanted me to make different choices um, at different times. And I thank God that they were still there for me once I came out of it all. And so I would say, you know, if you are a friend or family member, be patient. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them uh, because at the at the moment, that you think that they're not getting it, suddenly they will. Uh, So don't give up on them. Number two, uh, for the person who is going through this, know of course, first of all, that you're not the only one and that it does take time. I know that, you know, you're afraid, you know, you've been through a lot, but just be patient with yourself and understanding that one day you will have the courage to make a change. Um, You might pack a bag, have a bag that is hidden in a place that nobody knows about. If you have to put a few of your things in it or a few of your kids' things in it, just have it there just where, you know, if you need to flee at a moment's notice, you're able to grab that and go. There are so many different shelters in different places that will help you. There's the National Domestic Violence, Domestic Abuse uh, Hotline that you can call. There are so many different shelters and places to go. And so I know that there's help out there for you. Yes. Therapy. I'm going to suggest it for the millionth time on my show. <laughs> go to therapy. And there's many of us therapists who are uh, trained to help people who are going through or have gone through a violent relationship or a do- like domestic violence situation or an emotionally abusive relationship. And we can meet you like virtually. You can be on your phone and you could be out maybe in the grocery store or be going on an errand and be in your car. Like we can figure out a way to try to keep you safe while you can also then talk about all the things you're experiencing so you don't feel so alone. Yeah. And one other thing is don't announce what you're about to do. If you're going to leave that person, you know, don't tell them because you have to do it where you may have to just leave and never turn back. And you don't want to leave a trail. You can't tell everybody what your plan is either. Even some of your closest friends and family members, you'll be surprised, could possibly lead that person right to you. So be very discreet uh, when you do make a decision to leave. 
be discreet about where you're going and don't just blab it all out and tell everybody because yes, then you'll have that person right on the doorstep of wherever you're going. Yeah. So yes. be careful. Be careful. So yes, keeping keeping in mind, like if you are going to make a safety plan, making sure that, that you have people in your corner that you know are not, like you said, going to say anything. That, Absolutely. That won't reveal your location or reveal like how to communicate with you if you need to get away. And there I'm definitely going to include the domestic violence hotline and all of the resources I can in the show notes because I think that this is incredibly important. There are places that that people can go to be able to be safe without that partner knowing where they are. Right. And Codependence Anonymous, if you can add that number as well, because like when I talked about losing yourself, it's a major component that happens during this situation is that you kind of lose your sense of self and you stop doing what's best for you and you start thinking about the other person uh, more so than you think about yourself. So that also is a great resource as well. Beautifully put. Codependency is so incredibly common for those who've been through trauma in family relationships and in romantic relationships. It is incredibly common for, I mean, especially when that is what you have been told for so long, for depending on how long that relationship has been, it, it can be very difficult to think any other way. That's right. That's right. You know how it is to be with that person. But sometimes the fear of doing something different or stepping out and, and going in a different direction can be so scary to you because you don't know what life has outside of this person. But you do know what it entails with the person. But I'll tell you, it's a lot better, though. Once you get out of it, you're able to see a lot better. And you look back and you'll say, wow, you know, I'm just so glad that I'm out. Yeah. Uh, Tina, I just so appreciate your willingness to share this story. I so appreciate your willingness to encourage others who are going through or who have gone through this. And it, it's just been such a blessing to have you here. So how do people find you in the world? Well, you know, um, I am on Facebook. The Lover's Lounge is on Facebook. So you can uh, take a look at the Lover's Lounge Facebook page and you'll see different people that I've interviewed. Like you said, Eric, I interview a whole lot of different folks, experts like you, of course, I'm not an expert. But I'm learning. I'm learning a whole lot. Um, so I interview and I do a lot of topics, you know, around, like you said, love, relationships, sex, you know, because my thing is I'm trying to keep marriages together. I'm trying to keep people together. You know, I'm Tina Love. I'm all about love, baby. I'm all about love. So anyway, so uh, that's the Facebook page. I am on Instagram, uh, TL Lounge. And yeah, Tina Love on Facebook. And I'm on LinkedIn, too, and everything. Yeah. So thank I mean, really, thank you so much, Tina, for being on the show. And I'll make sure everything is in the show notes, including those resources. If you are in actively in a dangerous situation or if you have been in the past, that I will make sure that you have access to those resources for yep, what you need. Yep, yep. And you can hear the Lover's Lounge, of course, on Apple and Spotify, Stitcher and all of that. And on T-O-K-O-V-L Internet Radio on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. The show plays. Uh, select episodes on that show, on that uh, radio station. Fantastic. Tina Love, thank you. Folks, thanks for sticking around all the way to the end. We will see you next time. Bye.